Jonathan, I hate to tell you this, but I heard from the writers they're planning on killing your character off in the last season. <laughs> I did hear there's a surprise, though. So, <laughs> Hey, friends, I'm Bryant Russ, and in partnership with Christian Schools International, you're listening to the Lighting a Fire podcast, deepening conversation in Christian school communities as we explore the world through a lens of wonder, wisdom, and worship. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited to share today's conversation with the actor who plays Jesus in The Chosen. If you don't know what The Chosen is, you need to check it out. It's a multi-season series about the life of Jesus and his disciples, and it is so, so good. So last spring, uh, many school communities around the world had to pivot from in-person education to various forms of distance learning due to the pandemic. It was right around this time that I started watching The Chosen, and I thought, you know, this would be a perfect resource to supplement what we're doing as we study the Gospels in, in one of my Bible courses. I had no clue at that time just how transformative this show would end up becoming for me and for my students. And I'm not the only one. I've talked to CSI Bible teachers across North America who made a similar decision to start using The Chosen in their classes. I tell you what, I got more emails about The Chosen than just about anything I've ever done in my career as a Bible teacher. Never have I seen such excitement and buy-in about something we were trying in class. Um, I had so many students who said, hey, we started watching this as a family, and it's produced these really cool conversations around the dinner table. I heard from students who, frankly, weren't even interested in this Jesus guy until starting the show. I talked with several other CSI Bible teachers, and we were all thinking the same thing. This show is awesome. Even more awesome, I reached out to VidAngel Studios toward the end of the semester, and they so graciously connected me with Jonathan Rumi, and we got to have a Zoom call with a few different CSI Bible classes with Jonathan. And so it was just such an incredible hour and a half where we got to ask questions we'd had as, as we watched the show about decisions that were made, about particular scenes, and his experience in filming this. Later on, Jonathan and I connected for the conversation you're about to hear today. I'll stop blabbing in just a second so we can get to the conversation, but I just have to tell you, after spending a couple hours with Jonathan, oh man, this guy is the real deal. Such a humble man who loves Jesus and cares so deeply for other people. Having a conversation with him made me even more interested in The Chosen and even more excited about season two. So, okay, I'll close my mouth and we can get to the conversation. I think you're really going to be blessed as we hear Jonathan talk about his experiences playing Jesus in The Chosen. Hey, the first, I think it was on Facebook, actually, in one of those ads in the margin, I saw The Chosen, you know, multi-season mm -hmm. series. And my, my first reaction was, do we really need another? <laughs> oh, no, another not another dramatic, one. Yeah, right, like a British <laughs> accent, all those things, like, come on. <laughs> And, and uh, of course, have since changed, changed my mind about that. But um, <laughs> from your perspective, how would you describe what's so unique about The Chosen? I think the most unique thing that The Chosen brings to the world in its portrayal of Christ and the disciples and the Gospels is the humanity that they surely mm -hmm. would have mm -hmm. possessed uh, many, many portrayals have unfortunately extracted the humanity, especially with regards to Jesus Christ and his relationships with people, because they have a limited amount of time 
Uh, usually if it's a movie, it's two hours, two and a half hours. If it's a miniseries, six hours, eight hours, if you're lucky. And, and that's all of it, like in a nutshell. We're able to take effectively eight hours for one season in what will hopefully be seven or eight seasons and really explore humanity and the humanity of the first century Galileans and Judeans and, and the people that were in Christ's inner circle and what caused them to explore what caused them to have these massive conversions in their lives, to drop what they were doing and to follow an itinerant rabbi. What would cause them to do that? And, and because of the medium of television, and a series that that you can stream on your television, uh, we're able to explore and take our time and explore the the stories, the uh, socio political relationships, the dynamics, uh, the the financial dynamics of people at the time, mm. the levels of oppression that they were experiencing by the Roman Empire, and uh, really kind of plausibly posit what their circumstances may have been to allow Peter to go from fishing feverishly uh, the night before to just dropping everything to follow Christ. Like what would cause a man to literally just, aside from, of course, a miracle, but, uh, you know, like God's cultivation of, of a person's heart, I think for many times as humans, and, and I myself can say that the biggest my biggest point of, of reversion or, or, or deeper conversion in my life as a Christian has been when I've been on my knees at my lowest, at the lowest point in my life where, you know, I was completely broke and I had no food in my house and I had 20 bucks in my pocket and I was mm. in debt and, and literally saying to God, you need to step in at this point because I've done everything I think you've wanted me to do. And I haven't seen any fruits come from all my labor. So I'm going to just give it all to you. And I surrender. And that was a moment that actually took place. That was a conversation that actually took place two years ago this month. And that afternoon, I got a windfall of, of checks that I hadn't received in such a long time that, that it basically cleared out my financial situation in a way that was, I can only describe as miraculous. Mm, wow. And and I realized that God was calling me to complete and utter surrender. And since then, my life has been markedly different. Three months later, The Chosen came into being for me as a series and my life changed, you know. Um, but it, it started with getting to a place where I had to depend on him. If I was going to get through my life, I had no other choice but just to literally just say, I, I, I surrender it all to you. And I trust you, Jesus. I trust in you. And you show me where you want me to be. And he did. And he, he, he's like, okay, you, you, you want to let me? Is it time for me to step in now? Okay, stand aside and let me do my thing hmm. and trust me. And, uh, and that's kind of, uh, that's been the story of, of my life ever since. So, um, Amen. yeah. So Jonathan, uh, years ago when I was in seminary, I had actually probably the most meaningful class I took 
was a class where we acted out Bible stories. And I signed up for it because I thought it was just going to be like super easy. Um, you know, I was like, oh, great. Yeah, I'll act out some, some Bible stories and get credit for it. But what I, what I discovered is that it became the most theologically meaningful class I think I, I ever had. Hmm. And what I found was when you, when you actually, so like one time I, I did the voice of God, we were doing the story of Abraham and Isaac, uh, where he's asked to sacrifice his son. And, and the first line is God who says, Abraham. And I said it and, and my teacher said, stop. How did God say Abraham? And I never really thought about that question, but in thinking about it, I realized that's maybe one of the most important questions I could answer. How? Because in answering this question of tone, it's all about who is God. Mm. And man, in your portrayal of Jesus, how how did that impact you theologically in the portrayal? I mean, this isn't just another Jesus portrayal. This was really intentional. Tell us a little bit about how you portray Jesus. Yeah. How do you portray the sinless, perfect son of God? <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's kind of a question that you wrestle with as uh, not just an actor, but as a person and as a Christian, it becomes even more daunting at times. Hmm. For me, it begins and ends with prayer, with a bunch of prayer in between all those moments of scenes of acting and, and, and having these exchanges with other characters. But for me, you know, with, with Christ, I always wanted to give him a Middle Eastern flavor. So if we're talking just technically, my father's from Egypt. And so half my family's from the Middle East between Egypt and Syria. So I always want, I always felt that if I'm going to portray uh, anybody accurately, well, where are they from? What was, what mm. region were they from? What would they have sounded like if they spoke English? The voice that I use, for instance, in portraying Christ comes from an amalgam of my father's accent and then my dad's sister-in-law who comes from Palestine. It, it sort of helped me find this warm kind of uh, different sound for, for Jesus that, I, to my recollection, I had never heard anybody really use before. I'd, I'd never seen anybody who was truly Arab play Christ or, you know, or Jewish, you know, in that, uh, in that region, um, uh, in, in a way that uh, was authentic to me. Um, yeah. The modern, you know, talking about dialects, I do a lot of dialect work. And, and for instance, the, the modern Israeli dialect, to me, wasn't going to work either because it just sounded too modern it sounded too relatable uh you know jesus spoke aramaic so it that's it's almost it feels like a combination of arabic and hebrew hmm. so i tried to sort of split the difference uh tonally and and as far as the accent goes get something that worked in that realm that i could then also identify with and i can ascribe to my own sort of parental you know, familial relationships, like meaning my father. So it kind of put me in an open heart position already just by picking an accent to, to, to specifically portray Christ in a way that endeared me to my own father, as well as God, the father, the, the all of our the humanity's father. As far as his, his posture, the thing that I, that I strive for is to start with truth. A good actor always strives towards bringing out the truth 
in the role of whatever character he's playing. So what does that mean to me? So Jesus being God and God being the ultimate example of love, the truth of Christ is that he led with love. He did everything with love and compassion and mercy. And so trying to bring those qualities into my everyday life as I prepared for this role was something that was very intentional and very Mm. conscious for me. Um, And, uh, you know, really just trying to be the best version of myself that I could be, uh, whether I'm onset or offset. And, and trying to have a sense of peace, knowing that uh, Jesus possesses the peace that surpasses all understanding, right? So uh, trying to really just move about with a sense of peace in my heart, even when maybe things weren't, uh, we were, aren't on schedule or there was distractions, because uh, on a film set, as you can imagine, when you've got 75 or 100 people or even more, if you've got like the extras, the background actors on set, um, a film set is full of distractions. And when <laughs> yeah, you need sure. to be, yeah, when you need to be focused and you need to be in a, a very emotional or vulnerable uh, scene, all of that affects how you deliver the scene. And my biggest concern was that I, 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 do, I don't want to screw this up. Like this role is so, so important to me that I just, I didn't want to screw it up. Uh, and what I had to also learn to do was to let go of my preconceived ideas about how I wanted to play a scene exactly, mm. especially with all these distractions, and then trust that God's not going to let me screw this up. So I, I have to trust him and that I do as much as I can do. And then whatever comes out at the end of the day, that's the spirit. And I have to be okay with it. Because sometimes everything I wanted to portray, every elements in in each of those scenes uh it, it wasn't always exactly how what i had in my mind but it's what happened and it's what came out and it's what was used so i have to just trust that god's still going to be able to use that uh for for his glory and and the biggest lesson that i i've learned i think in all of this and i continue to learn um through these prayer hours that i do every day is humility and um the virtue of humility and and Having and, and emulating Christ's humility is mm. ultimately, I think, what allows us to be effective witnesses uh, for him. Mm. Amen. Amen. Mm. And, and frankly, you do that so well. I just for Thank listeners, you. we just had a Zoom call with nearly oh, probably 50 to 75 students, high school students. And Jonathan, just seeing him interact with the students is just a, such a blast. I mean, talk about <laughs> humility and and. Yeah, you've got a lot to say, and I could tell they were listening, so thanks for that. Awesome. Thank you. So the, I love how the gospel authors are very aware of their audience in the Bible. So, for example, Matthew portrays Jesus as, as this the, the promised Messiah, and he kind of compares him by the way he orders his story to Moses and showing mm-hmm. him as, the, as the, the heir of David's throne. And it's just very clearly doing something intentionally meaningful for that audience in particular. How has the chosen team, how has an awareness of your audience shaped the way you guys have told the story? Um, that's a really good question. As far as I, and I, you know, I can speak in a limited capacity since I'm, I'm not one of the writers, but sure. um, from what I can glean, the thing that they've, that the writers of the chosen 
I think have really taken into account from their audience is essentially the need to be able to relate to Christ that seems like the savior and the friend and the father and the brother uh, and the son of God that we would all want to know uh, mm. and and who's who had flesh and bones and walked among us 2000 years ago i think the main drive was to make jesus accessible to people yes yes and relatable you know and all of the disciples and and by doing so allowing us to 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 get that much closer to him and to feel that no he did know what we are going through. He he does know what our sufferings and trials are. It's not just stuff we profess. It's not just part of our prayer structure in in the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. Like you know, like talking about these things kind of abstractly that happened. It's like no, he was intimately familiar with the human condition mm. because he was one of us, uh, like like us in all things except sin. So I think this gives us a very a much more fully realized version of what that actually could have been like than uh, in any of its film or, or television predecessors so far. And, and I think that's, that's how God has been using, you know, Dallas Jenkins and, and his team of writers and, and the rest of us involved in, in the making of the show is to all contribute our skills and our giftings and, and bring this to life at a time where I think, the world really needs this kind. It really needs the example of Christ and the message of Christ. And and I think that the way to be able to hear the message is to be open to who the man was. And we do that by showing what his life could have been like and, mm. and showing him as a man and, and where people can be like, I want to know that guy. I want to know who that guy is. Mm. You know, I shared in the Zoom call with you about an hour ago, Jonathan, that email I got from a student, she said, for the first time in my life, Jesus actually seems like good news <laughs> after having watched The Chosen. And I almost just wept after reading yeah. that because, yeah, you know, because some of the gap culturally, historically, when you read the Gospels, there are parts that can often seem confusing. I remember as a yeah. kid uh, sitting on the floor of our church and my Sunday school teacher read John 2, the wedding, mm. you know, water to wine story. And he said, woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And I remember yeah. just thinking like, what? Like, you talk to your mom I... like that? Exactly. I'm thinking if I said, if I got in the car after church and said, woman, let's go home, you know, like, and, 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 you know, so comically even looking back, but my Christology was taking shape, right? This, who is this guy? And I was in a Christian culture to the point that I couldn't have ever vocalized that. Like, I mean, I could have, but you just didn't, right? Because Jesus, in fact, I, I asked my teacher and she said, oh, honey, you have to understand it. It's Jesus. Like, you, you, you can't ask that question. He's, but what happened for me was the older I became, Jesus was someone who I believed was really important, but he just wasn't someone I, I actually wanted to be around. If he right. was to walk into the door, I'd probably, you know, try to hide rather than, more than anything else. And what you said it so well, he's someone who we want to know and you're portraying him as someone who, Man, I'm drawn to in, in new ways just by watching the work you guys are doing. Awesome, Brian. Thank you. And it's funny you mentioned that line. And like that, that was a line that I, I wrestled with before I saw it on the page. I thought, and I knew we were going to film 
the wedding at Cannes, I'm like, how can I make this work in this context, you know, without sounding like, you know, he's just being completely callous and, and, Mm. and, uh, and obviously in our, in our version, I think, I, I don't think, I don't think I actually say woman, but I had come to a place where because of what we've been able to do in, in showing Jesus's humanity in, in incorporating things like his sense of humor and we're at a party and the scenes that take place before there was a way that like, for me, that line would there, it's almost tongue in cheek. It's almost Hmm. like as, as far as how to deliver that line without sounding like, you know, like, uh, sharp or harsh or severe. It's, it's woman of humanity. It's, it's, there's, there's a few different ways that I finally actually made peace with it. And when you put it in the context of, uh, the wedding in, in, in the way that we did, it makes more sense than it does just on the page. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like in terms of sheer uh, politeness. And the other thing that we have to, uh, remember that many of us as Americans, aren't even privy to. And I only learned this uh, by talking to some of my Jewish friends that that speak Hebrew, is that, and obviously Jesus spoke Aramaic, but in that, that culture, like in Israel and in the culture and in, in, in Hebrew, there's no real kind of nuance within the language. So for instance, when they're translating uh, something like, you know, it would be, I'd really love, would it be possible if like, it would be nice if you could just, you know, uh, close the door uh, on your way out. And <laughs> But they don't they don't have that kind of thing in the language, apparently. Like, I, I haven't studied Hebrew, but a, a friend of mine who, who speaks Hebrew is like, they don't have the translations for a lot of the nuances of the language. So they're like, hey, shut the door, will you? You know, and it's, you're like, whoa, whoa. And it just, it sounds like they're being rude, but it's, no, they're literally... They're translating like almost, you know, exactly from the language, how they would express that. And like the nuance of the language is not something that that particular culture focuses on, whereas we're a lot more delicate in our sensibility with the language, with English. So we're it's kind of something that could sound really harsh to us culturally in another language. It's not even a, an afterthought, you know, so there's oh, totally, also totally. we also have to consider that the, the language barriers um, were, were also different, you know, but again, everything was very specifically written. And so, you know, without being uh, a scholar of theology, which I am not, um, uh, what we can, the, the best, the next best thing that we can do is to try to give it a context that seems at least, uh, relatable in the circumstances. Yeah. Oh, amen. Yeah. Language and culture are inseparable. And that's part of the challenge of translation. I think you, you can translate a word, but without having massive footnotes on every page, it's challenging to translate the culture. And I think Bibles are doing that more and more for that example. Some Bibles will say, dear woman, uh, to, to try to communicate Ah, culture and others will just have a footnote that say, well, in the Greek, this doesn't connotate, you know, there's no disrespect and, Yes. But it, it, what I love about what you guys are doing, there's a playfulness to it. You use that word in the Zoom call, mm. play. You, I think the history of interpretation, which is something I've been really passionate about in my studies, how people have read the Bible and how we've portrayed people like in Jesus, especially in film or in art, is really, it's often subtle, but it's important and it's theological. And what, what you guys are doing is you're taking 
a flatness, and I hate to say flatness of the scriptures. I probably should mm. cut that part out. But, there's, <laughs> there, you know, the, we have to, the, the scriptures require your participation because they don't tell us tone more right. often than not. Right. They don't tell us even motion or posture almost ever. And so the reader has to bring those things to the text. Mm. And you guys portraying it dramatically, it, I feel like it's loosened up my students a little bit to be imaginative in their reading, to consider things like tone. How did Jesus say this? You know, when he says, you of little faith to the disciples, is this, is he like being condemning or is this yeah. playful? Is he joking? You know, yeah. we don't have those clues. You have to be playful. In the history of, of the Christian church, there's been times when the scriptures were read monotone intentionally for fear of misinterpreting. Mm. But that's an interpretation too, right? I mean, that's just boring. <laughs> Are you familiar with the Ignatian spiritual exercises? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, tell, so, tell us about it. So um, essentially what happens is that you you put yourself in the place of like what you were talking about earlier, like of, of the, you know, when you were doing a play of like you're in the time and place of the gospels, what are you seeing? What are you experiencing? It's it's kind of like um, a method approach to 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 playing uh, yeah. these kind these particular characters. And when we had our um, you know with the chosen, there's a bunch of biblical roundtable episodes from our three biblical consultants. We have a, a Catholic priest, a uh, an evangelical uh, professor, and a, a messianic rabbi. And um, one of, you know, the question came up about like the, the evangelical perspective of, of being very careful about um, going uh, too far with uh, imagination and sure. uh, portrayals and, and not wanting to cross the line. And the, the Catholic uh, response from our, uh, our consultant, Father David Guffey, was that yeah, this yeah. is very reminiscent of the Ignatian spiritual exercises where you, you know, you kind of ask these questions and, and what are you hearing and what are you smelling and what have, you know, what, mm. what, what is the, uh, the, the context of the time that you're in and, and really trying to utilize the imagination to, to bring the spirit forth to deepen your understanding mm. of oh, what was happening in the scriptures at that time. So it's been really lovely to kind of have, you know, to have these uh, episodes be an opportunity for people to kind of uh, connect in a, in a more prayerful way to their own faith life by giving them bits of uh, historical and, and uh, archaeological factoids and, and, and uh, inhabitations of how we've designed our sets to the, the clothes that we've worn. So if you look carefully at uh, the bottom of Jesus's garments, you'll see the tzitzit, the, the little tassels mm. that mm. hang at the, the bottom of the garments, which were uh, true to what, you know, Jewish men, all of them, all the guys have all of those on their garments, which, you know, I don't even know if we've seen that in, in most uh, interpretations. Right, right, so, yeah, uh, yeah it's, been, uh, it's been pretty amazing trying to transport our, you know, being able to transport ourselves uh, with, with such careful study and and a beautiful attention to detail to to really allow people to have a, a deeper experience as they watch the show. Amen. Yeah, I used to teach English, and so often students with Shakespeare, for example, would say, "Oh man, like Shakespeare is just so boring." And I'd say, mm. "Would you would you read a couple <laughs> lines?" And they'd say, "Romeo, Romeo, Arthur, Arthur," and I'd say. I figured it out. Shakespeare's not boring. You are. Like, that's the problem. And I wonder if our reading engagement with the scriptures is similar. I wonder if God's bored with how we read the Bible. Mm. 
we, we, we do that in our in my Bible classes now. We'll, I'll read a section from one of the Gospels and ask students questions that you just asked. What, what smells are in there? You know, what, what colors do you see? What, what clothes are, is, are the characters wearing? And every single time students say, oh, d- I didn't ever think about those things. <laughs> it's just so flat when we read without playful, without engaging our imaginations. Yeah. What do you hope happens, Jonathan, in say, let's say a high school student as he or she watches the series? I would hope that people have, um, that kids have a, a renewed interest or even have their interest peaked uh, in who Jesus really might have been and what his life might have been like as a human being. One of the chosen's goals is to bridge the gap between what people think they know and what people ought to know about Jesus's life on earth. And I think if we can dispel a few mythologies and and a few uh, misunderstandings about uh, his humanity, uh, or at least uh, improve understanding about his humanity and his relationships with the people closest to him, I think that will allow people to draw closer to him themselves because he's He's with us now through the Holy Spirit. He's always with us. You know, he told the disciples he would send an advocate to be with us always. And that he's part of that. He's part of the Trinity. And so I think people, especially young people, tend to think of Jesus as being uh, a sort of an intangible kind of essence, Um, this sort of iconic figurehead that they they pray to and they know did certain things on behalf of humanity and sacrificed himself and rose from the dead, of course. But what about the, the human side of him? What were, what were his relationships like with people? And I think hmm. the chosen really hopes to, to make an impact as to just how uh, beloved he was when he was here on earth. And, and so that we can all just have a, a, a deeper uh, appreciation for uh, Jesus the man as well as Jesus the God. Yeah, it's challenged the the kind of transact transactional attitude of Western Christianity that Jesus is a means to heaven when I die. Mm-hmm. Because when you watch the show, you actually want Jesus <laughs> for for Jesus, like you want yeah. to know him. And and you know the 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 gift of eternal life is is an additional gift. It's the cherry on top. But Jesus yeah. is what matters and what's interesting and what's compelling. And I think it's it's what it's what we long for. It's what is part of our design and part of the human condition is to to seek to seek out our Creator, to seek out our Maker, and to have a relationship with with God. And so the show allows you to have a, 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 a glimpse into what a relationship, a personal relationship with the human version of God could have been like. And I think it's, it's why people have been so receptive because one of the, the most frequent comments we've gotten is the, and that, that I get continually is that this is the Jesus that I have always imagined. You know, hmm. this is the Jesus that I've always wanted to see or wanted to know. 
And it's interesting how we meet Jesus in the chosen because there was a creative decision to meet it. First of all, in the first episode, everyone's just waiting. Like, when, when's Jesus? I warn my students. I say, just so you know, you we're not going to meet Jesus until just the last couple seconds. But yeah. we, we meet him through the stories and struggles of the disciples. I don't know if you know about the creative decision to do that, but but how does that make it maybe even more impactful? Well, I think ultimately the chosen, I, I believe it's more about those that Jesus chose versus Jesus being hmm. the chosen Messiah. Right, right. So um, the whole thing is the, the, the plot line of the series is is essentially what you just said. It's meeting Jesus through the eyes of those that knew him best. And hmm. the concept is that if we can meet Christ through the eyes of of those whose lives he changed, then maybe our lives can be changed as well. And I think having the opportunity to to witness these these conversion experiences, and you know, first time we see Jesus, he's in a bar. <laughs> he's in a bar <laughs> with you know Mary Magdalene or Lilith at the time before he heals of her of her seven de- seven demons, and you know, he 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 met people at their level, you know. And, and we all want God to meet us at our level because this is, this is where we're at in our lives. We're all broken, you know, imperfect people. And, and God knows this about us and wants to meet us at our level. So we, we just have to, I think we just have to continually be on the lookout for him because he does, I think, show up in, in the most unexpected times in the most unexpected places and sometimes in the most unexpected examples of human beings of other human Mm. beings you know one of my own prayers is that god may i may i see you in everyone whom i meet today looking for jesus in everybody that you meet is is i think a practice that that can can be so profound you know especially when you're dealing with difficult people or you're dealing with in in los angeles there's there's this homeless epidemic it's like how do we treat Hmm. the poorest of the poor in our communities are we treating them like you know that they uh they they should go somewhere else or are we trying to find a way to to help them to feed them to to give them shelter or, or or improve their lives somehow so i i think uh I think at the end of the day, humanity will be judged by how we treated the, the poorest among us. And, uh, and you know, Jesus was uh, all about um, treating the poor. And, and, mm. and I think he shows up in, in the, the marginalized. So uh, it's an opportunity oh, for us to be hum- hum- humble and to have a serving of, of humility every, every moment that we have that opportunity and, and see Christ in the face of those people. Um, I think it's something we're called to do. Hmm. I really hope Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats story Hmm. Jesus tells shows up later in in a season. That's just such, I mean, so very much what you're saying where Jesus says, thank you. You know, you, you clothed me when I was naked. You gave me a drink when I was thirsty. And they say, what what are you talking about? He says, what you did for the least of these. Yeah. You did unto me, man. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling, I mean, those are the kinds of stories that I know Dallas likes to tell where there's, you know, there's a real emotional impact. Um, he's more about that than he is about 
telling these stories with special effects like the walking on water, but everybody wants to see walking on the water. I mean, who doesn't (laughs) want to see? They were like, yes, there it is. But, um, you know, or Jesus calming the storm. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see if we can't, uh, try to get those, those stories pushed forward (laughs) as well. But, uh, I'm sure there's, there's so much territory to explore and, you know, I just, I hope, uh, I pray that we continue to get the opportunity to, to tell all of those stories. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Hey, Jonathan, you recently started doing live prayer on Instagram. Mm. Um, what, what prompted you to start doing that? Uh, right around the time of the quarantine during Lent, um, one evening, I just got this sense that, uh, that God wanted me to, to start hosting a prayer hour, uh, at Holy Hour, which, which in the Catholic realm is is typically the three o'clock hour because that's the hour when christ died on the cross so we we attribute that as a very powerful hour of of reverence and and prayer to uh to pray with people and there's some some prayers that i i I say there's uh something called the chaplet which is a series of prayers dedicated to christ's divine and endless mercy and compassion and it's called the chaplet of divine mercy so this 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 meditation is something that just came upon my heart to pray those particular prayers at this very difficult time in our history um and to do it on facebook and i i kind of sort of balked at the idea initially i said wait a second what uh and uh <laughs> and i kind of was like god am i hearing you correctly do you, hmm. you want me to do this on Facebook publicly, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I just, it just kind of was like, yep. I said, oh, I'm an actor. I'm like really putting myself out there with my, I'm really outing myself with my faith on my public page. And, uh, and he's like, yep. Yeah. This is people need some sort of some, some encouragement and you can offer that right now. So the next day, um, at uh, the three o'clock hour Pacific time, I'm in the Pacific time zone. I started uh, saying these prayers, and I said, "Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm. This has been put upon my heart to to pray this this these prayers of divine mercy for all of humanity and and uh, against COVID nineteen and and for anybody that's suffering from disease or illnesses and anybody that wants to join me is is more than welcome and um and uh, you know I, I started doing that and it it started growing and by I did it, I decided to do it for 40 days through uh, Easter and the, the Sunday after Easter uh, in uh, Catholicism is known as divine mercy Sunday. It's, it's an official feast of uh, the, the Catholic calendar. And uh, so I did it right up until then. And it, it, and it, it, it turned out, and this is completely coincidentally, there was no thought involved, which is how I know that it's not of me. It was of the spirit guiding me to do this is that the day that I started to Divine Mercy Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, which is the culmination of these particular prayers I felt called to say, was exactly 40 days. It was Mm -hmm. exactly 40 days. So I thought, oh, okay. As we got closer, I thought, wow, this is, this is, interesting that it's 40 days. Uh, and so, uh, by the end, you know, there were, I think at one time there's over 600 people that were joining me from all over the world, praying, um, these prayers and it it had been shared and seen by tens of thousands of people every day. 
and um, at least I would say half of of the audience and people joining in were, were Protestants and people of all different denominations. And my whole thing is like, leave your denominations at the door. Hmm. These prayers may come in a Catholic container, but their intention is for all of humanity. Uh, believers, non-believers, this is for humanity because this is what we're called to do is to pray for the world, not just our own niche in the, in the world. You know what I mean? Not our own sects, yeah. like it's for everyone. And I, I got, um, so many re- amazing responses. And, uh, there was one guy that wrote, he had been having anxiety attacks and, and since he started praying the chaplet with us, like his, his attacks stopped. Um, and I've gotten countless messages from from people all over the world, like saying the very same thing. So after we finished on Divine Mercy Sunday, um, I kind of took a week to sort of pray about if and how I should continue. And then something, you know, I guess the spirit was just hitting me like, you need to take it to Instagram. And, and for me, Bryant, that was a little scarier because I, I already knew that Instagram first and foremost, it skews a little younger. So mm. I feel I felt like there's going to be a little more resistance in, in bringing like especially these kinds of prayers publicly to, you know, this venue. And, uh, and I don't know why, but um, I just kind of felt that um, Facebook was, you know, the chosen's biggest presence was on Facebook. So I knew we we had a lot. Of, I knew I'd, I'd probably get support, but I would still I was still going to pray it, whether there's four people or 400 people, it doesn't matter. I'm doing it because this is what I've been told to do. So I went on Instagram anyway, and, and I did find a little more spiritual resistance. I found people attacking a bit more, but it was okay. I felt undeterred. And, and so many people were that were on Facebook came over to Instagram. People started accounts just to be able to pray with us. Um, hmm. and, and it's, it's growing as well. Now we probably have about 450 people every day that tune in from, you know, the Philippines, Indonesia, Norway, Canada, Europe, South Africa, uh, Brazil. So many people in Brazil are, are tuning in. I get messages in Portuguese. I have no idea what they say. Thank God for <laughs> Google translate. Um, so, so it's been, it's been quite, um, quite wonderful. And now I'm getting messages where other people are starting their own prayer groups and and live prayer hours and just you know it's sort of spreading a little bit so it's been so encouraging to to see that people are just engaging in prayer and they're doing it um, publicly because I think I think God has asked me to use this opportunity and this very 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 minor celebrity to to try to affect positive change in people's lives and and to just be a little more bold about expressing their faith. And, and, and that gives other people encouragement who felt that they can't express their faith publicly, that they'd be shot down or shut down. And, and I think mm. as effective witnesses, um, we're called to be bold, but to be humble and to, to lead with love. I've certainly been blessed by those and have been so enjoying them. Oh, wonderful. So I'm, thank I'm you. glad thank you're you. doing it on Instagram too. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, brother. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, there's, uh, I think Instagram, I felt like Instagram needed it maybe even a little more than Facebook. Uh, and again, I, I just my sentiment is that there's like a lot of younger people that are searching. And, and I've been asked a couple of times, like, well, do you ever feel there there will be like a backlash to being so public about your faith? And my response is always the same. I say, look, I don't 
I don't place my destiny in the hands of men. My destiny is not in the hands of men. It's in the hands of God. So whatever God wants to have happen for me is going to happen whether or not mankind is on board with it, you know? Mm. Oh, Jonathan, this has been such a gift, my friend. I just, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. And the coolest thing for me as a teacher, every week students watch an episode and then write a little reflection. Mm. And I cannot tell you how many students who just weren't interested in the faith, Mm. some of them, their parents, you know, are forcing them to be a part of a Christian school or those kinds of situations, Mm. responding, saying, for the first time in my life, I'm interested for the first time in my life. Jesus is somebody who I'm curious about somebody who I want to know. So man, I just, I just can't thank you enough. And the whole team, the whole chosen family for what you guys are up to. Uh, Thank you, man. It's been my, my supreme honor to be a part of all of this and, and to see how God's going to use it to, uh, to, to change the world and and affect so much good in the world. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for joining us for today's conversation with Jonathan Rumi. To stay up to date with The Chosen Team as they prepare for Season 2, make sure you follow them on Instagram or on Facebook. And as always, feel free to reach out to me at bruss, that's B-R-U-S-S, at hollandchristian.org. Thanks so much.